You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Welcome back, and I'm very excited for this episode. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different than all the others. I always say that. I always say it's going to be a little bit different. That's because they are all a little bit different. I've got Dan Simpkins. He's the CEO of a company called Dwellwell. They're weeks literally weeks out of stealth mode. They've been operating under stealth mode for uh, a little while now, interviewing thousands of homeowners, real estate professionals, and digging into some of the problems around, well, sensing what's happening in the house. Uh, How do you know if a pipe has burst? There's a hole in the roof, or maybe your CO2 levels are too high in the house. Um, There's lots of different point solutions here, but there's not many platforms for the homes and really think about building it for business customers. So say like owner operators of, you know, portfolios of homes so that they can anticipate problems. Dan has a really elegant way of putting it. It's the check engine light for the home and it's something that no one has built yet. Something that's very interesting about Dan and his background though is that he's a prolific inventor of technology. If you've ever used VoIP or a smart TV, Well, you can thank him because he's largely responsible for both of those technologies getting to consumer bases. And he'll discuss that and we go right into that at the top of the show. I think you're going to hear that and then hear how he talks about solving some of the maintenance challenges and the massive financial opportunity this this represents. And not just being able to diagnose, but then deploy maintenance to solving problems in a home before they become a really big problem. So... Let's jump right to it. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nate. I'm glad to be here. You know, it's good to see you again because we actually just had a chance to meet down in Miami uh, for the IMN East conference. And um, oh my gosh, it was so hot. I I don't know. People people love it there. And I'm like, this is why I moved to South Dakota. Um, so, uh, but it, it was a good time, I know, for us at Obi, And uh, hopefully it was for you as well. Uh, before we digress too far, though, I'd love to uh, kick this off as we do with tradition. Please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. I'm Dan Simpkins, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Dwell Analytics. All right. And we have, uh, we're going to be talking about something very interesting. I'm going to tease it. And then, and then I want to actually, I want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, if you will. Uh, the check engine light for the home. It's kind of, kind of the direction that we're going to be talking about what we're going to be talking about here today. But before we get into that, I, I want to get into your background a little bit, because I think this is very important and might add a little bit of context. Can you share a little bit about your experience as an inventor and product builder over the years? Yeah, I I appreciate you asking me that question. And it's funny because a lot of people don't start there. And so they always ask the question, you know, what's a telecom guy doing in real estate or or a consumer electronics uh, guy doing in real estate? So my background, um, I am an engineer. 
Um, I've um, really had the good fortune of um, of running right now um, my three companies, three companies successfully. So after my first company, I um, I started writing a book on entrepreneurship, and uh, it was called "The Ten Laws of the Entrepreneur." Um, I had learned a lot. I had run a, a telecom uh, technology company, which was sort of a, the original industry that I did a lot of work in for about 11 years. And I had learned a lot. And it's interesting because one of my laws says you have to go over the line to see the line. You have to go over the line to see the line. And so what does that mean? Well, if you're a tech entrepreneur, you have to be able to place yourself into the world of science fiction. You have to imagine the future. And you kind of have to turn yourself around and look at where that line is and say, how far as an inventor, as a technologist, as a product developer, can I move that line forward? Hmm. And that's really what I've, what I've done throughout my career. And so another way to think about it is I've typically been somebody who identifies trends either early or trends that other people don't see. Uh, so my first company was actually a pioneer in voiceover IP and it turns out built some of the very first large-scale equipment that allows literally this this podcast uh, to be recorded. You know, so after after we did that, we actually saw a trend um, that eventually video would come to the internet in the early 2000s. I actually predicted when that would happen and realized that when video came to the internet, um, the amount of content online would explode. Literally, we, we would be overwhelmed with content, which is exactly what's happened. And so um, I actually conceived of the idea of building an operating system for television that would bring broadcast, internet or broadband and personal media together. And in the process, invented what we now call smart TV. Um, and so that's, that's really been a lot of my background. Um, you might wonder, well, okay, how did I go from interactive TV to real estate? Um, and it's, it's really quite quite straightforward. Uh, as part of that interactive TV company, uh, we had developed real expertise in sensors. And we won't for now get into why that is, but we had developed a deep expertise in sensors. And um, my partner and I, um, Chuck Ritten, who's my co-founder, is an expert in AI, really true AI. He has been doing AI really before even people talked about it. And so what happened was um, I actually have a house um, a second home. It had a couple of frozen pipes. Pipes thawed, house flooded. And we, I actually got a call from our housekeeper that we arrived at our house and water was flowing out the front door. Oh, that's a bad day. That's that's a bad day. Yeah. Oh, boy. So um, I put the house back together again. And in um, early 2016, so really long before we were seeing all of these maintenance centric products. Um, I was walking the floor of the Consumer Electronics Show, as I do every year. I actually observed something, and I think it'll, it'll be a great place to, to, to sort of end this but jump into a new topic. But I saw there was a lot of innovation at that time in home automation, in smart home technology, and home security. But really, no one was thinking about the health of the home, really the sort of the, the maintenance, um, the actual performative nature of the home. And I, I actually had kind of this aha moment, which was that, hey, there, there are actually 100 million cars on the road, and all of them have a check engine light. And there are 130 million homes in the US, and none of them have a check engine light. Hmm. And so I kind of took this, this, I sort of had this moment where I said, you know what, we could take our AI and our sensor technology expertise, and we could build really the first check engine light for residential properties. 
there there has been a lot of interest in this area of like and, and we'll get into the differences maybe of like the differences of like IoT and smart home and all that but any sort of like hardware to software and sensor and you know in the home I remember what is it like two or three years ago, Mark Zuckerberg's annual challenge was to build Jarvis, his home automation. And I, I, I do wonder where that got left off. Um, I also realized that that wasn't as crazy as, as it sounds now. Like a buddy of mine, I just visited in Seattle. He has three different, he's got raspberry pies. He's like buying them and like now like making his, he's got his, 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 his lawn irrigation is set to an automation based on the weather. You know, he's in the Northwest, so you don't water your lawn if rain is coming in. And so then it like pulls in from the Weather Channel API and, and like knows when to not water the lawn. And he's got smart lamps throughout the house. And if there's a Sounders game anywhere within the next hour, all the lights in the house turn green and blue and it gets ready for Sounders, you know, the, the soccer team. You know what I mean? So like there's a lot of fun stuff like that. But obviously, um, this is going a little bit of a different direction. You've already answered the question of, you know, how you started uh, working on this problem. And clearly it was very personal to you. Um, so let's kind of like back out a little bit. What are the alternatives right now? Like the scenarios right now, like how do people know what is going on in the house? And this might seem very obvious to everyone. Maybe it doesn't, but like, how do I know if I'm away for the weekend, what's going on in the house? Yeah. Or do I simply not? Well, um, that depends on who you are. Um, and you actually brought it up that there are a lot of um, do-it-yourselfers that have been, you know, working in and around this IoT space for a while. With um, it turns out, my CIO is is one of those folks. He's got every mm-hmm. system in his house instrumented, and he literally said he joked. I was just talking to him the other day, and he said I probably got a dozen Raspberry Pis of one form or another, and and various you know IoT devices sprinkled throughout his home. The problem is that, you know, that's, um, and this is really where we were when we started. There's been a lot of work in IoT, um, but the reason that the promise of IoT hasn't really been realized is because it's just too complicated. And so you ask this, this really straightforward question, how do I know what's going on in my house? Well, for an institutional owner, they don't know what's going on, especially for somebody who owns a home they don't live in. Yeah. Right. So, um, they don't know. Um, they may have um, a smart thermostat. They may. Um, and maybe they they know what the thermostat is telling them the temperature is set at. Um, or maybe the thermostat's telling them what the temperature is, but they don't know how it's set. Um, or maybe it's the temperature says something and, it's, and the thermostat says the furnace is on. But, you know, cold air, now it's the summertime, right? So I'll use the summer example, but maybe cold air is actually not coming out of the vents. Um, and, and so what we're finding is that they don't know, they know some things, but they don't know a lot. And that's what we really set out to solve is really instead of just being a water leak detector. So there are, you, you could cut the pipe and put in um, a, a sensor from any of a number of uh, companies, right? And um, there are great companies out there um, that do that. Um, and you might know if the water is flowing in the pipe and maybe when it's not supposed to be, but you don't know if there's a hole in the roof, right? And so what we realized is if we're going to deliver really a, a performative platform, a maintenance platform to institutional owners, um, they, needed, they needed technology that would be a lot smarter than what's out there today. Yeah. 
Um, so let's walk through it very practically. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the landscape here of like where Dwell fits. Walk me through how it works. Uh, sure. And let's talk through like uh, installation to how the homeowner or, you know, I, whether they're living there or like they're, say, a manager uh, scenario uh, uses it and what they can do with what it provides. Very important question, but I'm going to I'm going to go down a slightly different path for a sec. And I'm going to come back to that because I think that I think that was really important. OK, um, first of all, what's a check engine light? So let's actually talk about something we know. So in our, right, because I think that helps um, explain what this is because no one's ever built a check engine light for a home. So in a car, right, it, it started out something very simple, just monitoring the um, catalytic converter. Um, but today, uh, the check engine light, you know, and the onboard, you know, computer monitors every major system. So it might have sensors in the transmission, sensors in the engine, monitoring temperature, monitoring RPMs. It might have sensors in the brakes, monitoring the thickness of the pads. And so you've got sensors that are distributed throughout um, the car. And when um, when it's when those sensors detect an anomaly, so this is really important because there's a difference, um, and you know, between telling you when something has broken and and telling you when something is about to break. Right. And we're going to explain. So that's going to get into why we did this in the first place. Um, and then we'll get into what it does. So in a car, these sensors are starting to monitor the normal um, operation, and they're then starting to tell you when you're deviating from normal so that hopefully you go get the car fixed before you get stuck on the side of the road. Right. And so if we look at real estate, what we know is that maintenance is very expensive. As a matter of fact, yep. maintenance today is estimated at, uh, I've, I've actually heard estimates that go anywhere from our own internal bottoms up, and no one's published this, but we estimate that residential maintenance is about $80 billion a year in the U.S., and there are a couple of companies that I've talked to that confirm that. And there are some companies in this maintenance space that estimate it's as high as a quarter of a trillion dollars, essentially $250 billion. So it's very expensive, and virtually all maintenance, Nate, is reactive, right? You and your home, something breaks, and you fix it. And reactive maintenance is really expensive and inefficient. And so what we're looking- That's why water heaters never last. They never last, right? Because people don't drain them. And so we're looking to turn maintenance from being a reactive process to being a proactive and preventative and ultimately predictive process. And that's that's what's really different about us is to, to really transform this idea of how do we manage our homes, um, both, and of course, we're, we're a B2B a company or as a, as a startup, we're focusing on businesses. Ultimately, we will focus on individual homeowners uh, once we've really got the, the technology um, sort of, you know, fully, fully flushed out. So you asked the great question, well, how does it work? Well, um, it's a sensor. It's a set of sensors. Um, and those sensors work in concert with each other. But the what's interesting is our, our sensor is uniform. We built the product to be plug and play. So it's literally a sensor um, that um, plugs into a, an electrical outlet that just plugs in. And, um, and what we do is we, we distribute that sensor throughout the home, um, typically one every roughly 300 square feet. Okay. And so, so that, you, you know, it doesn't matter if it's in a door, like in a, like in this, my office, you know, is basically a small bedroom, right? So 
I don't think it's 300 square feet. And then my wife's office is on the other wall. So like, you know, in the other room. So I put one sensor for both bedrooms. Or I got one sensor per room in that scenario. Well, we, we generally would say one every, say, two two rooms. What we want are the okay. sensors um, typically where there's activity, where there's, where there's water, environmental conditions that need to be monitored. So we want a sensor near your HVAC. We want a sensor in your kitchen. We want a sensor in your bathrooms. And what we do is actually the sensors have um, transducers. They actually can talk to each other. And when you install them, we give you a guide. We give you a guide post. We say we think you should put them in these locations based on the structure of your house, um, and then we'll do a test to see if the sensors are generating enough coverage. Uh, but it's so you could factor um, for in your type of home. Really, you wouldn't need one in every room, but maybe one in every other room. Got it. Okay, and then and then what are the different things that it's sensing? Yeah. Um, before we get into that, we'll also I want to make. Um, the audience aware that this is a platform. And so we also have APIs where we can bring other sensors into the fold. Mm. Um, so we deliver a unique sensor because it's important for us to do the AI that we're doing. Um, but we do allow um, ultimately uh, the system to ingest data from specialty sensors. And I'm going to give you an example when I answer your specific question. We have um, really three unique sensor um, systems. We have an electrical sensor because we're plugged in. So we're monitoring the electrical mains because electricity touches every every electromechanical device, every appliance, every piece of electronics. So the ele- electric right. and and obviously the electricity is where uh, there's often you know a lot of danger, danger to residents, um, potential fire hazards. We have a really robust environmental um, suite. And if you think about it, um, it turns out we live in our homes. And with the pandemic, we've been living in our homes and working in our homes even more. So we typically, you know, people, they, they estimate that we've been in our homes, you know, 90% of the time, you know, uh, but certainly a, a large percentage of the time. And, um, and so we're monitoring the environment because especially as health and wellness becomes even more critical to us, we want to make sure that uh, we're living in healthy spaces, but also the, we, we use for our analytics a concept called ambient inference. So I want to say that again because that's, that's a new term. It's something that um, we've coined, ambient inference. The idea of our sensor is to monitor the ambient environment and by measuring the ambient environment, help determine what's going wrong or how systems are behaving. So let me give you the easiest one. Uh, we are agnostic to your furnace or to your air conditioner. And so we can measure the temperature and humidity very accurately across the entire building um, and tell you whether your um, HVAC is running efficiently or not. And so we, we have temperature, humidity, volatile compounds, CO. We actually measure vibration. We measure light levels, pressure levels. So really robust, probably the most comprehensive environmental sensor in one package on the market today no one has built a sensor with this level of of density could it be Um, used in buildings not the home like could it be used in an office or like a doctor's office or a maybe your your gym or something like that absolutely um that's not the market that we're targeting initially but that actually really speaks to just how robust the opportunity is for us our, one of the reasons why we're focusing on the residential space is, frankly, it's underserved. 
There are companies out there building sensor systems for commercial buildings, and there are building management systems. There are large companies like Siemens, Johnson Controls, and there are smaller companies um, that have built sensors specifically. There are companies um, that have built siloed solutions. So, for example, there are companies that are just focusing on air quality, and I know that you've You've actually talked to some of those companies. They're focused. Michael Drieger from Airset. Right. Was on um, the show earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. And did an excellent interview. And they have an excellent product. Um, they, there are companies that are just doing electrical monitoring. Um, there, are, there are companies that are just doing water. But these solutions tend to be siloed. And we wanted to be able to deliver a whole home comprehensive solution. So not only are those solutions siloed, they could often be over-engineered for a single capability. Um, and so what we wanted to be able to deliver is a, is a rich platform that would cover, cover everything. So we have the electrical system, we have the environmental system, and then we actually have a very unique um, acoustic system that um, is, is really very different than anything that's been built before. It was custom built. Um, and it's really designed specifically to identify anomalous conditions. Um, and, and so it, it, it's not, it doesn't actually listen it uses a unique AI approach where it could tell things like a toilet has flushed but hasn't filled or one that's running or a bearing or a motor um, that is actually starting to go bad. Um, and so we, we actually can tell, for example, when there are pests like mice and, and bats. Um, and so we, we use Dan, that. This might be kind of weird, but I just got an idea. Uh, I, I ha- this is off the cuff. All right. So lay it on sorry me. Sorry for everyone. If I'm just kind of weird. I love watching paranormal investigations. And uh, as a as a college student, my only fluff course was Haunted Pennsylvania <laughs> 110. I don't even know what it was because I went to school in Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from. One of the things I learned was some of the theories around paranormals was that the energy exchange. And this is where you can start applying physics and how temperature changes are used to show signs and as well as a magnetic field adjustments. If there was a sudden shift in temperature or magnetic energy in a room, would Dwellwell pick that up? Um, so the, the answer, um, we, we do not um, have a magnetometer in this device. And interestingly, we, um, I happen to be one of the world's experts um, in, in magnetic sensing and used it at my last company. Um, we, we decided, um, and it, it's, I'm glad you asked this because it'll, it lets me um, answer a, a different question, but I'll get back to paranormal. Um, although we're, 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 we're hopefully that we're not in the twilight zone right now. Um, we, um, uh, but we might be, you never know, um, or the matrix for that matter. Um, but we, um, what we did when we um, decided how to build ambient inference is we wrote down a list of all the things that can go wrong in a home. Although I have to say we did not include ghosts, but we, we, we included a lot. Um, and we, um, uh, we wrote down almost 500 different things that could go wow. wrong in a single-family home and a multifamily. And then what we did was we wrote down what are the sensors that you could use to detect those things. After that, we actually went out to the industry. We talked to experts. We actually talked to real estate professionals, and we interviewed homeowners, thousands of them, through online surveys as well as live interviews. So we spent a, a whole year doing this. And the reason we did this is in any good startup, as I talked to you when we first started this, you know, um, sort of one of my laws is that a great, a great startup has to have this three-legged stool, a great idea, 
You have to match that idea to core competency and you have to be able to implement in the, in the market window. And so we want to actually know from experts in the real estate community, um, what were the most important things for them? And what we learned was that there were two areas that were of critical importance, HVAC, the most expensive system in a building, in a residential building, and plumbing. Um, and, and water leaks because those cause cause the most damage, and so that's actually what helped us define what sensors to put in this device. And one reason why we didn't put in a magnetometer because uh, it didn't it didn't help us in that area. Um, so going into your question, though, yes, these sensors are monitoring these buildings in real time, and that's different from other IoT systems that might monitor every ten minutes or fifteen minutes. We are actually monitoring um, all of these parameters multiple times a second. We actually aggregate the data to once a second. We then actually roll that up to our gateway. Um, and then we report to the cloud on a periodic basis, um, or, you know, say once a minute. So we actually have really rich data. And yes, we, we can indicate when an electrical occurrence has, has occurred down to the really the cycle level, but in particular to our um, analysis and system to the minute and, and indicate I can envision stuff like this actually really starting to come in handy because um, especially in cities as uh, there's more and more emphasis put on the um, safety and well-being of renters. I think that I think has been a good thing. You know, uh, there's been a lot of emphasis put on the safety of living conditions. I think that's been a very good thing for our industry. But one of the things is such as like, you know, in Chicago, there's a minimum temperature to be maintained. And a lot of these buildings use a boiler and, you know, that hot air rise type heating system has some drawbacks. Some people find that they're just cooking while others, you know, can't seem to get warm enough. And this is something where, you know, a, a management company that would have these sensors distributed throughout the building would then be able to demonstrate that they are, in fact, within compliance and that they are, in fact, delivering a good experience. And if they weren't, they could see where those problems were to begin with just to, to troubleshoot, which I think that that's one of the like that would be a real like, is that a type of application that you would see for Dwellwell that is currently not being done? And clearly, because you can plug it in, there's no retrofit. You know, this is a problem with older buildings when you try and push smart home devices to older buildings. And it's a brick building, you know, it's 10 floors up and you, you can't make retrofitting make sense. Like it just does. It's not going to make sense. We have to find other ways of doing this. It sounds like this also solves that challenge because it's not necessarily going to require retrofit. Now, it doesn't solve the problem, right? The actual problem, but at least helps you isolate and identify exactly where those problems may be. And on, you know, what sort of cadence or occurrence, uh, you know, that they're occurring. Is, is that really like where you're thinking like, hey, this is where this can go? Or we just, that really just. I think, Nate, you've honed in on one of the yeah, real advantages cool. of this platform and you've done it really effectively. So we have something called a heat map, um, literal heat map, um, but it also a, a, a virtual heat map or a metaphorical heat map um, for, a, um, for our multifamily um, building users, what we do is we show them the entire building structure simultaneously in one visualization. And it's really fantastic. And they literally, and we we found this um, in our in our current pilot um, multifamily customer where um, when they, you know, they first 
uh, cranked up the system, they found that there were tremendous imbalances um, in the heating system. And many of these um, buildings, you know, even older buildings have some degree of uh, optimization where you could you could adjust the valves on radiators, on PTACs, you could tune the PTACs. Um, and so they were able to use Dwellwell uh, in order for them to adjust um, the building performance. And there are a couple of things that I, I want to point out as well. We are coming up with something we call a Dwellwell score where um, we're really going to be able to show which buildings are are being managed uh, well and which ones are more comfortable. Um, we Comfort is an important parameter. You know that comfort is not just about temperature. It's the intersection of temperature and humidity. And not only do we give the um, operators and the owners the temperature and the humidity in each unit, but we also give them the comfort factor. We've done the math for them and we are, and we show them a comfort score so they can, if a resident calls up and says, hey, it's hot or it's cold, uh, they could look at that comfort score and see, oh, you know what? Uh, this unit is not comfortable. And what ultimately that leads to is, is much better um, tenant satisfaction, resident satisfaction, um, and better health. I mean, it ultimately leads to, to health and wellness, and that's, you know, becoming important. Yeah. I want to shift a little bit here, talk sales and marketing. I know that you guys have been working in stealth mode uh, for some time. You're like literally only, what, a month or two out of stealth mode here, which, you know, I, I, I'm excited about because I love talking to companies that are very early stage. Um and so what has it been like operating in stealth mode to really hear, and you've already shared, you know, you've been interviewing thousands of homeowners and real estate professionals, but, you know, how have you been best uncovering the pains, you know, putting your product out there in stealth mode? And then from that, how are you transitioning out of stealth mode to now start picking up a little bit of growth and, and market share? You know, with a product as complex as this one, we felt it was really important to stay in stealth mode for long enough to get really all the kinks work out, but also to get to get a lot of this technology um, working well enough for the real estate market. And it gets to your early question. You know, I'm not an expert in real estate. My team, uh, we do have people on our team that are um, in the real estate community, and many of our investors are really significant uh, players in real estate. We have. Um, executives from some of the largest multifamily operators as investors, as well as um, the SFR um, uh, community as well. But we, so we stayed in stealth, um, but we, we've actually uh, built the company in phases. So uh, starting about a year ago, we did what we call our alpha trial. So we put the product in about uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 homes across the country mostly our employees and consultants, so we could start to see how the, the product worked in that environment. And once we got a lot of the kinks worked out um, and we felt that the product was ready for, for really live customer trials, um, we then uh, went and we, we talked to, you know, we had many of these conversations ongoing, but we talked to some of our target customers and said, we think we're ready um, to do a, a live pilot. And so what we use to determine our transition from um, stealth to non-stealth, essentially come out of stealth, which we did in the beginning of April. So you were right. It's just been, my gosh, it's just been um, just under eight weeks since we're out of stealth. It feels like an eternity. Um, but what we, we, we did was um, we spoke to them about what their needs were. We, we gave them a proposal. Um, these, are, these are paid pilots. So these are, these are real customers. And um, 
We explained to them what the product would do. And, um, and then uh, what we did was we launched two of these customers. One was an SFR customer um, and one is a, is a multifamily customer. And with those trials underway, you know, we felt that we were ready with, with financing, some of our early stage financing behind us, with customers in place um, and our website all ready to go. We we emerged and we're really excited. So you asked, you know, how, how did you know how did we get ready? Well, we we've had you know we've had a solid year of the product in the field uh, working um, to really understand what it was capable of doing. Got it. Yeah. So there was more than just you know working out technology in a vacuum. You actually had trials. You had people running it, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and we did talk about you know quite a few things there. But one of the things I was curious if you had any initial uh, insights here, you did mention, you know, it can be fairly complex product. And I think it's maybe robust if I'm going to help with your marketing copy here. Very robust. Uh, (laughs) Complex is scary for a lot of folks. Um, I know it is for me, but what do you see as some of the significant hurdles that you'll need to overcome? You know, especially, you know, we're defining this, we have to liken it to the check engine light so that there's something that to equate it to. So people may not know how to search to find what it is that Dwellwell is doing. Yeah. First of all, thank you for um, giving me that insight on robust versus complex. You're, you're absolutely correct. It's, I'm, I'm using that. I'm borrowing that from you. Um, <laughs> sincere form of, form of flattery, right? Um, I, um, it's, what we have to overcome is technology skepticism. You know, the real estate community is, is, has been later to the technology sort of revolutions. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're working with our customers to help them understand what this can do for them. We've developed um, really um, uh, straightforward ROI analysis, exactly what we think that we, can, um, we could deliver. We also, it's really important to be very specific about what features exist in the, in the initial product, but what often is called an MVP, a minimum viable product, and what the roadmap looks like. And we've been really um, careful to put key features. We know what our release one feature set is, what our focus is based on customer input, and, and to stick to our knitting, to not try to get ahead of those headlights, but then also to help the customers understand where the product is going. Um, as you know, because you've you spent a lot of time at the intersection of technology and real estate, and but also learning um, technology extensively, AI requires deployments, right? So big data um, often requires a lot of data, and we did something really unusual where we were able to to create using modeling the initial data sets that helped us train our AI models, um, but then we also um, wanted, had to explain to our customers that this product was going to learn over time and get better, right. much like an Alexa. So I think it's um, overcoming technology uh, skepticism is, is just going to be the biggest hurdle for us. Yeah, when it gets to AI, uh, you know, I don't, I certainly don't claim to be an expert there. The most I know is from a movie I watched recently, which is about that video game. I don't know what it is, like where the video game has AI built into it and it actually learns that it's a, uh, I don't even know anything about video games. This is terrible. It's a terrible example. I'm not even going to try and go down this example. It just shows how out of touch I am as a millennial. I can't explain a video game in a movie. Um, <laughs> me, <laughs> I'm going to move on here because it's just distracting here. Um, what I, I, I love to just it, um, poke around a little bit here. I know you're early 
And I'm sure at some point this is going to be far more important. But any any light you can shed into the monetization plan around this? I mean, this is this is an, a category defining type or creating, if you will, product. So there's no precedent uh, for pricing except for a lot of the other products that you'll likely be compared to that you'll then have to explain why is different and does more or differently and better. So then, you know, what have been your thoughts towards how you monetize this? And, you know, you know sure, uh, feel free to go as far as you'd like with that. Yeah. Um, pricing for, for an early stage startup, um, especially one that's creating a completely new market, uh, pricing is very difficult. And there are lots of theories on how to go about it. What we did was um, we, we did two things when we thought about pricing. Um, we looked at products that um, are similar, but not the same. Um, so things that they would appreciate and understand. So for example, security systems. We looked at how much it costs to put in a security system. Clearly, we're not a security system at all, but at least that would be something that they would feel, you know, they knew that they were getting some benefit from it and they were willing to pay that price. Um, we looked at uh, some of these emergent access control systems, you know, smart lock companies and, and smart thermostats. So, you know, the, those, um, and there are multiple of those out there and some have have recently emerged into the public market. So we, we looked at what the, that pricing was. We also tested um, the pricing. Um, we we use something called um, so a lot of startups, Nate. I think you're you're familiar. Use cost based pricing, so they figure out how much the product costs to make. Maybe you know if it's a hardware product, they add up all the the parts and they add some manufacturing overhead and they add some margin and distribution costs. If it's a SaaS product, they made they might add up their cloud costs and their marketing costs and their their cost of acquisition, customer acquisition, and so on. And then they they put all the margin stack up on there and they come up with a price. Uh, we we didn't do that. We actually use a, an approach called price based costing where we actually talked to customers and we got a sense from them of what they thought the real value of this check engine light for the home would be. And we actually described the product to them. And they and we said to them, you know, what's a price where you think that this would be reasonable, valuable? Yeah. And then we started to assess whether we could build the product for that price profitably. And so that's a lot of the process we went through. But as a startup entrepreneur, I learned one thing over the course of, of you know, a few decades of doing this, you got to keep your pricing simple. And so our pricing actually has two pieces. It has an installation cost. So basically the cost of outfitting the building with the sensor system and the, and the gateways, and it has a SaaS cost. Um, and typically um, those costs are comparable to other, uh, you know, other sort of what I'll call IoT-based SaaS services that real estate customers are buying today. Now, invariably, if you guys are able to you know, succeed and start picking up traction, you're going to start seeing some competitors. You'll see other similar like-kind products, whether they are the same or they're different, but messaging and communications around what they do is the same. Do you see this as a winner-take-all type of uh, play, or is this market large enough to where there are going to be several uh, players who will have plenty to win between them all? Yeah, if I actually think back to my voice over IP days, I built the very first uh, central office voice over IP gateway, the very first one. And um, you know, when we talked to our investors, we said, "Look, we're you know we have we're the first. And and clearly, um, the, everyone said, "Well, you know, once it becomes established, there'll be a lot of competitors." By the time I exited the company, uh, which was a wildly successful startup, 
there were at least 15 other companies. So what, what distinguished us was A, that we were first, we were able to get out there, but it was also our, our deep technology expertise um, and the uniqueness of that technology, what gave us an unfair advantage. In this particular product, because we're the first in this comprehensive um, platform, the differentiation we have in our AI is really uh, quite unique. It's quite different. Um, and our ability to get out there and, and the more data we collect, the more knowledge and the smarter our AI gets, the harder it will be for other companies to just jump in. That said, um, I don't think it's a winner take all. I, I, I don't. I think there will be other companies. There will be companies that have siloed products, like it, you know, that have water leak detectors that'll add other things like air quality. There are air quality companies that might jump into electrical monitoring, et cetera. Um, and so I, I think that there'll be other companies, um, much like there are multiple companies now in, in access control and in, in sort of the smart building management. Um, but I think the market is so huge and, and so large and, um, and our approach so, so significantly different. Um, that we have a, a great opportunity in front of us. Yeah. Uh, Dan, we're going to move to the bottom of the show. Uh, so these are, I think, a little bit more relaxed and fun questions. Also, it happens to be my favorite portion. Uh, first part is we're going to jump into For the Future. For the Future is a segment where I get to ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Dan, are you ready to play? I am ready to play. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Question number one, what does Dwell Well look like one year from now? Well, that's actually easy. Um, we'll be done with our pilots and we'll be in full production. Um, and I expect to be installed in several thousand homes. Um, and we'll also have a rich roadmap um, complete with uh, numerous AI-based uh, analytic features. Question number two, and you can answer this in terms of uh, either by what year or how many years. How long until 50% of new homes are built with Dwellwell and or similar type hardware technology devices i we've talked about that internally a lot and it's interesting because i actually am a student of a really uh, important sort of professor of business in this particular area new product introduction a guy named bass professor bass was actually at purdue um, and wrote sort of a famous treatise in the 60s and uh, and early 70s on the mathematics behind the s-curve literally the S-curve penetration. And he studied dozens and dozens of, of, um, of products to see how fast would those products be introduced. And it turns out to achieve saturation in most markets takes a lot longer than most people think. Matter of fact, he, he actually estimated it was somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Um, we actually adapted Bass to the startup um, a number of years ago and have, have looked at it. Um, my my hunches we're probably uh, right in the the middle of of bass. We're probably I'm thinking ten to ten to fifteen years out to see fifty percent of of homes um, built with uh, a check engine light, essentially built with Dwellwell. All right. Question number three: What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? <laughs> hmm. Really good. I'd like to answer that in two ways, if it's okay with you. Because I have a personal one um, that I has been a, it's just a real um, bugaboo for me, and then I actually have a, a business one. So um, the personal one is in the social media world. Um, I think there's a trend, um, really, and it's it's growing of people people to attack people they don't know and hide behind those attacks with anonymity. 
Um, and so a trend that I wish would go away is sort of the transparency in social media, where I, I, I would love to see us um, really, I, I think if we could see that go away, um, that anonymity, um, we'd have a much, you know, much friendlier society. Um, but moving to, to the business side, um, I think um, a trend that I think is going to continue for a while are are real estate operators, owners and operators who have, you know, large successful businesses being reluctant to introduce um, technologies um, or to, to embrace, as you said, robust technologies like the check engine light. Um, and so I, I think for a little while, it's going to take us some marketing um, to, to shift that trend. And certainly I, I wish that would accelerate. Number four here, last one of For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Well, um, I think, um, frankly, the the thing that will fade away is for um, real estate, for anyone who owns real estate to be data blind. So I think we're going to have an opportunity where real, we're going to understand so much about how our homes operate both as individuals and as institutional owners. Um, and as a result, that's really going to tr- really transform the way buildings are managed. We're going to move um, uh, maintenance from being reactive to being proactive and ultimately predictive. We're going to know when things break, and we're going to have a much better handle on it. And ultimately, that's going to lower the cost of maintenance dramatically. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. This is a quote from one of our pilot customers. And this really um, actually is a view into the future, into this trend. Uh, And he said, um, Dan, for the part of the building where you're monitoring, I don't walk that building anymore to find out what's wrong. I just wake up in the morning, I turn on Dwellwell, I see what it tells me, and I know what to do. And I think that's a a really interesting um, thing that will will really transform the way we we live um, in in our world. It means a lot to someone who's doing maintenance, um, which uh, I don't know how I've never shared this story. My my, uh, I was hired as a building services coordinator for a home builder back in Philly. And uh, what most people don't know is building services coordinator is um, a title that you give a young guy or girl in their career that says you're a janitor and um, you're kind of a fix it person, but not qualified enough to get a fix it person's job title. Uh, but I was working to troubleshoot some of our HVAC and I'm literally like hand drawing maps. And then we had these vents and like which vents were opened and closed and like color coding all this. It just, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but it was far more complicated than it should have been. And had I had just even the slightest bit of systems intelligence, I could have known just to call who are we were under contract with, tell them exactly what the problem was. They wouldn't have to come out to bid it. It would have been taken care of. And I would have, you know, I could have gone on to the next fix it problem, you know, a lot simpler. And so these are the little things that, yeah, like there's a lot of uh, staff and labor that goes into the troubleshooting and thinking through and searching and just trying to figure out what's going on that um, just got a little bit smarter on some of our tech. I think these problems could be solved better within our buildings. Dan, I'm going to jump into our last three. These are questions that are designed to help our listeners get to know you just a little bit better. First one, and I'm very interested in this one personally, what are you reading? Uh, um, well, you asked... Um 
Uh, do, do you have another hour for our podcast? Um, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. Um, I read a lot. I've actually generally... I, I knew it. I was hoping for <laughs> you know one or two good book suggestions here. All right. I'm going to go in two different directions. So as you notice, I like to have two answers to questions. Um, and I, I, I had a hunch you'd ask this question. So I, I just finished a book that I is... Um, is just a fantastic book. I really strongly recommend it for for any entrepreneur. Um, and I I could give you a long list, a long book list, but it's called Strength and What Remains. And um, this is um, it's just a wonderful book. It's it was written by Tracy Kidder, um, and it's the story of a young man named Dio. And Dio actually witnessed genocide in Rwanda and Burundi. He survived. He was actually in medical school when the genocide started. Um, he survived. He literally lived in the wild, truly in the wild, um, for many months until he could actually escape. He managed through just sheer will and, and survival instincts to get to the United States. He came to the U.S. penniless. Um, he survived the streets of New York City. He literally was homeless. He lived in Central Park on a park bench. He actually became a deliver. He literally had been in medical school. He became a delivery boy delivering groceries. He went on to finish Columbia University and ultimately deferred going to medical school in the U.S. to go back to his home country after the genocide was over to build a health, um, a basically a health facility in his home home area. Um, it is just an incredible story of survival, of of entrepreneurship in many ways as well, and just and and just really um, incredibly inspiring. Um, so that's one. Um, and I want to Dan, I connect to that book a little bit because uh, and 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 I'm now very interested. My the first property I purchased, at house hacked. You know, so you buy it, owner occupied, you move in, rent the bedrooms. Except I moved in and I had two roommates from day one. So imagine moving in. Hey, I'm your new roommate. I'm also the landlord, and one of my uh, new roommates was from Rwanda, and he escaped genocide. Uh, his fiance was uh, stuck in Canada. He came to the U.S. and he worked his way up as an engineer. And here he was driving the most beat Honda car that was rusted out. I mean, he didn't look like he had a penny to rub together. And I, I'll never forget the day he came to me. As, uh, I'll, I'll withhold his name, but he comes to me. He goes, Nate, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, I won't get rent to you until the fourth. I said, that's fine, man. That's you know, we're good. I know where you sleep. And I, you know, I knew what he was up to and I knew he was making good money. I just, I didn't know. I said, something happened. He goes, well, I bought another house <laughs> here. And this is 2015, 2016. He'd been buying homes in cash in Buffalo, New York. Wow. And his family and others he knew, he was setting up duplexes and things like that for them to move into one half and rent and manage the other half. And so he was essentially building a mini empire, owning these homes in cash as an, you know, so he was just putting all of his, you know, earnings into that and living, I mean, just like a very low uh, level. But one of the coolest guys I ever got a chance to meet, one of the smartest, he was like taking apart speakers all the time and like me remaking electronics. But I had to pick on him a little bit because he didn't know how to make drop biscuits. And I had to teach him how to how to make some biscuits because, you know, it wasn't something uh, 
he said, you know, for him, you know, men working in the kitchen just wasn't culturally normal. So he was trying to learn to make biscuits for his fiance when she could eventually gain entry to the U.S. for them to get married. Nice. So um, phenomenal story there. I appreciate you you sharing that one because that kind of brings back some memories of a, a really cool guy that you used to live with. Yeah. And I got to tell you, if you think startups are hard when you listen, when you read a book like this or you, you know, you have this colleague, you um, it really helps ground us. Um, and and so, you know, in terms of this, um, I'm now actually reading a book called The Golden Ticket by Lance Fortnow. He's the chair of the computer science department at Georgia Tech. And this is actually really relevant, obviously, to my my current business, but to, to anybody in in tech. Um, uh, the book is actually um, about the foundational question in computer science called the P and not P problem. Um, and simply stated, it asks whether every problem that can be quickly checked by a computer can also be solved by a computer. And so interestingly, today the answer is no, um, but the book speculates on what would happen in the future if the answer was yes. Um, and so it's it's a really interesting book. It's written for a layperson. Um, and so for people who are sort of at the intersection of technology and and the real world, it's a, it's a really interesting read. So those are just a couple of examples for me. Love it. Question number two, Dan, who are you learning from? Nate, I learn from everyone. Um, for me, that's actually an unbounded question. I, I learn from you. Um, I learn an enormous amount from my staff. Um, I've been a CEO of startups for a long time, and I found that listening is the best way to learn, right? We don't learn when we're talking. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, obviously, um, I try to I listen to my staff. My customers, as I told you, we interviewed a lot of customers early on to ask them um, what they thought was important, professionals in the real estate world. Um, and actually, uh, one thing that you don't know about me is that one of the most important areas of philanthropy for me is education. Um, I do a lot of work in education, and I um, I love to listen to students who are still in school. I love to sit with them and ask them how, what, what they feel is important. And, um, I, I just learned a tremendous amount from, from younger people as well. Awesome. Last one here, Dan, what inspires you? Uh, my wife once was, we were at a dinner party, um, and somebody asked my wife how I figure out what to work on. And she responded, and I've sort of, I always remember, she said, the worst thing that you can say to Dan is, oh, that can't be done. <laughs> um, because I will then spend the rest of my life trying to solve a really oh, tough man. problem. Now, as I told you about my sort of second law, you know, obviously it has to be something that's in my, um, my domain of expertise, but it's also a problem that I think is important to solve. So, Things, um, people who set out to solve really tough problems without fear often inspire me. I love it. Dan, I really appreciate this conversation and your time. Uh, you know, it's good to talk products, good to talk real estate, but also I love how deep every uh, aspect of this goes. For those who want to learn more about Dwell Well and or connect with you, where do they go and how do they do that? Um, well, the easiest thing to do, um, you could go to uh, www.dwellwell, that's D-W-E-L-L-W-E-L-L, -L -L, so dwellwell.ai. So we're .ai, we're not .com, we are .ai. 
um, and you could uh, contact, go to contact us and, um, and certainly reach out. And we'd love to talk to anybody uh, who'd love to talk to us about um, the future of real estate. Very cool. And of course, as always, uh, I'll have the links in the show notes and descriptions below. Um, really good to uh, see it in person in Miami. Gives me confidence. I'm going to probably see you again uh, at some other events later this year as it, or at the very least. I'll see you next year for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Appreciate it. And we'll catch you later. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.